So stand with me, if you will. We're going to read a passage out of Luke, first chapter of Luke, and follow along with me. It's an amazing story. And uh, you may ask yourself the question, would you argue with the angel? Zechariah and Elizabeth were righteous in God's eyes, careful to obey all of the Lord's commandments and regulations. They had no children because Elizabeth was unable to conceive, and they were both very old. One day, Zechariah was serving God in the temple, for his order was on duty that week. As was the custom of the priest, he was chosen by lot to enter the sanctuary of the Lord and burn incense. While the incense was being burned, a great crowd stood outside praying. While Zechariah was in the sanctuary, an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing to the right of the incense altar. Zechariah was shaken and overwhelmed with fear when he saw him. But the angel said, Don't be afraid, Zechariah. God has heard your prayer. Your wife, Elizabeth, will give you a son, and you are to name him John. You will have great joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great in the eyes of the Lord. He must never touch wine or other alcoholic drinks. He will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before his birth, and he will turn many Israelites to the Lord their God. He will be a man with the spirit and power of Elijah. He will prepare the people for the coming of the Lord. He will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children, and he will cause those who are rebellious to accept the wisdom of the godly. Zechariah said to the angel, How can I be sure this will happen? I'm an old man now, and my wife is also well along in years. Then the angel said, I am Gabriel. I stand in the very presence of God. It was he who sent me to bring you this good news. But now, since you don't believe what I said, you'll be silent and unable to speak until the child is born. For my words will certainly be fulfilled at the proper time. Now a passage from the Gospel of John. God sent a man, John the Baptist, to tell about the light so that everyone might believe because of his testimony. John himself was not the light. He was simply a witness to tell about the light. The one who is the true light, who gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. Amen. Aren't you thankful for God's word? We continue in our series, Miraculous Births in the Shadow of the Manger. And can we actually go back two slides to that... Um, the second one from there, yeah. Um, what I love about this is you can see Zechariah is a wise man. He said, I am an old man, but he refused to call his wife an old wife. He just said she was well along in years. <laughs> that's, a, that's, that's wisdom, folks, right there. <laughs> but um, we continue in this series, and we are looking at some miraculous births that specifically point towards the ultimate miraculous birth, that of Jesus. And how they, the birth itself and then also the message of that life had a unique way of showing, displaying, and revealing who Jesus was and what he had come to do. And so we're going to see that today in the life of John the Baptist. So would you bow your heads and pray with me this morning. Father, we come before you. 
We come humbly before you in regards to your word. God, it's living, it's active, it's powerful, it's life-changing if our hearts will receive it. And so, Holy Spirit, we pray, would you make the heart of every person in this room, and especially each one of us, very fertile to what it is you have to say. That, God, we would long to hear from you. Lord, we would long to be changed and moved by your spirit. That, Lord, you would change specifically the way that we see ourselves and the way that we see the gospel so that we can see the truth of who you are. Lord, in this place today, we invite you just to to move, to speak. Holy Spirit, you are welcome here. And would you move in our midst, we pray, in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen, amen, amen. You know, truly some of the best gifts that we could ever receive are some of the ones that we're least prepared to receive. Um, It's a gift that can come as a surprise that we weren't thinking about, we weren't expected, or it was a gift that was kind of very unique. I I remember uh, it was last year my parents were in the process of moving to Muncie, Indiana, and they, they started uh, the, the move-in right around Thanksgiving. And uh, if, if you've ever moved before, how many of you know that it feels like as you're moving and then getting into the house, it feels like it's going to be four years before you really get everything unpacked? You know what I'm talking about? Like it's Well, we were at that stage where we're just basically a month into the move and in their garage from like floor to ceiling was boxes. We were still in the process of getting unpacked because it was all done really quickly. And so Christmas was coming, Thanksgiving was coming, and uh, Christmas is just right around the corner. And I came over to their house just to help my dad do a few things. And one of them was we were going to be hanging pictures. And so we get into the house and we're in the process of doing that. And I'm like, okay, dad, like we're going to need the, the drill to like, you know, pre-drill, pre-drill some of these into the studs so that, because it was like a heavy picture, not one that could just like hang on just regular drywall. And he's like, yeah, okay. And I'm like, so where, where's your drill? And he looks at me and he goes, well, I don't know. Because, <laughs> I mean, there was like a billion boxes in that garage. I mean, we still hadn't got to that box just yet. And I'm like, oh, well, I'm like, we're going to probably have to go look. And he's like, well, you know. There is a Christmas present under the tree for someone that we could possibly use. I needed a drill. And so we're like, okay, we'll do that. So we go into the living room. We can walk in it. And I start opening up my present. My mom turns the corner and she's like, what are you doing? Right? And we're like, it's going to a good purpose, mom. Just for like, we got to get some pictures hung. So I, I found out early what my gift was that Christmas. And then we were able to actually end up using that gift. But. You know, you think about it, those gifts that are unique or that come as a surprise, um, they can change the way we think about our day. Like, how many of you have ever been surprised by someone just bringing you a gift or maybe it was just even a Starbucks or just something small just to brighten your day and it's like it totally changed your perspective on the day, right? In that moment, it may have went from like a really bad day to suddenly like, this ain't so bad at all. Like, the gift or the thing itself, it changed your perspective. I told this story, like my, my wife, she, one of her uh, love languages is giving and receiving gifts. And so there's these sh- specific shoes she was wanting. So I, I had bought them. I snuck them into the trunk of my car. I came home one day and I came in and I was like, hey, I need to take a shower real quick. I forgot. I left something in my trunk. Can you go get it? And she's like, oh, yeah, okay, whatever. So she's going out there and I'm like looking by the window, watching her expression. And she opened up the trunk and she was like, ah. Right, And it was that moment that, like, I, I knew it brightened her day, but it also brightened my day seeing 
that reaction with her. The gift is a powerful way of changing our perception. And some of the greatest gifts that God gives us, they are things that he can bring into our life that changes the way that we see or we perceive things. It changes the way that we see or perceive things. John the Baptist's entire life was designed to do just that. His goal was to be a messenger to change the way that the people of God saw salvation and saw God. Listen to this. This is from Luke chapter 1. This is the angel speaking to, to his dad, Zechariah. And he says, and this is about his coming son. He goes, he will turn many Israelites to the Lord their God. He will be a man with the spirit and power of Elijah. He will prepare the people for the coming of the Lord. He will turn the hearts of the fathers of their children. He will cause those who are rebellious to accept the wisdom of the godly. Do you you listen to that again? The angel is saying John's life is going to be a life that changes the way that people see. It causes them to see and to think differently. And the first person whose life John the Baptist changed was his father's. You see, because his father was a very old man. And his wife was just well along in years. (laughs) But they were at that point where they had prayed and 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 prayed for what their heart truly desired, and that was a child, and it didn't come. And they prayed, and it didn't happen. And they had prayed and tried, and it didn't happen. And they're at that point in their life now where, like, they believe in God, and they know that he's real and that he's good, but they've also now limited what he can do. Sad to say, I think that's us a lot of times. Where we'll believe in him, but because of our circumstances, we have allowed our circumstances to change our theology rather than our theology to change our circumstances. And so he finds himself in this moment where he's in the very presence of God. He's in the temple. He's been drawn for this special assignment. He's in there. And then this angel of the Lord appears, and the angel basically says, hey, this is what's going to happen. But the problem is, is he's now at the place where he's no longer necessarily praying for a kid. He's now praying, like, God, don't let that happen. (laughs) He's at that spot almost where he's like so long in years. He's like, "I, I, I just don't even think that that can happen. And the angel comes to him, the angel of the Lord, and speaks this message to him. Gabriel speaks it to him. And he's like, I, I, I don't even have room in my mind anymore for this being a, a, a concept that could happen. Like, I, I, my mind has so changed the way that I see myself, the way I see my situation, the way that I see God. I can't fathom that this is a thing that God could do. And the angel speaks to him, and he's like, this is what's happening. And because you don't believe, you will now be silent until the moment the baby is born. And in that moment, God gives Zechariah one of the greatest gifts he had ever given to him. And some of you in this room are parents. And you're like, I didn't even know that was a gift I could pray for. <laughs> like, I'm praying that for my kids. God, nine months, total silence. <laughs> right? Think about that. His wife's not even pregnant yet. So the angel's like... From the moment of conception till the, the moment, like, you're, you're going to be completely silent, unable to speak for that length of time. 
you know, if I were to think through their Christmas lists for many years, it was this thing that their heart desperately longed for. It was a child, but it had changed slowly over time. It had morphed. And what we see with this is that John being born, and in this moment, it changes the way, first and foremost, Zechariah, but also us, see who God is and what he is capable of doing. I want you to think about that gift that he received. Some of you are like, well, it doesn't sound much like a gift. I, I would cause you to, to think about it for a while. Nine months he was silent, focusing in and watching the impossible develop. Here's his wife that they, him and her had basically given up on this goal, this dream, this prayer. And in silence, he watches for nine months as her womb grows. And this baby that is being prophesied that's to come and pave the way for the Messiah. And he sits in silence and contemplates. Imagine the conversations going on in his head. Right? Like, and what's, you know, what's funny is, you know, from the wife's perspective, you know, like day one, he shows up and he can't talk. And he's trying to, he's writing out and explaining what kind of happened. And he's like, you know, and the angel was there and I said this. And she's like, mm-hmm, you should have just shook your head and said, yeah, like I've been telling you two for years. <laughs> right? Like the, if you would have done that, you wouldn't be in trouble right now. But, but is it, you know, day one happens and then day 30 and then day 60 and then day 90. And as he's sitting here, as he's in silence, he's contemplating, he's watching, he's listening to all the sounds. He's seeing everything that's happening and he's taking it all in in a form of amazement and wonder and worship of, I thought it was impossible and God's rewriting the script. I thought this was out of the question, that I was too old, that there was no chance, that there was no way, and God's flipping everything on its head. What you see is happening is, is he is changing the way that he sees in his very concept of God from limiting God to worshiping God. Because you see, once the baby is born and he declares with his mouth what the name will be because that's what the angel had said, and his lips are unlocked, the first thing he does is it's just praise that explodes from his mouth. What's been built up in his soul during those nine months is amazement and wonder on who God really is. See, John, the coming of him doesn't change the way that his own father saw, but to change the way we see, but specifically to change the way that we see salvation. Read with me these verses. Um, it says, who are you? What's happening here is this is much later in John's life. He's started his ministry and he's baptizing people. And a delegation has been sent from the Sanhedrin, the Jewish uh, religious leading body. And this, this group has been sent to him to find out, hey, who is this guy? What is he up to? Why is he doing what he's doing? And they say, who are you? And he confessed, and he did not deny, but he confessed, I am not the Christ. And then they asked him, what then? Are you Elijah? And he said, I am not. Are you the prophet? And he answered, no. And so they said to them, who are you? We need to give an answer to those who have sent us. What do you say about yourself? And he said, I'm the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord. 
as the prophet Isaiah had said, now they had been sent from the Pharisees, they asked him, then why are you baptizing if you are neither the Christ nor Elijah nor the prophet? So here's what's going on. We got to take off our current reading and put ourselves into the shoes of what's going on in this moment. For the Jews, the way that they saw salvation was implicitly tied to two specific things. One, that they saw themselves genealogically as children of Abraham. So in other words, like they could trace their line all the way back to him. We are born a Jew through a line. But then secondly, through their observance of the religious law. Those two things is what they saw as like basis from like a salvation standpoint. And so what they would have is at the temple, you would look at the, like the, where the temple was. Around it, there would have been these like baptismal pools that surrounded the temple. And these pools were used exclusively for Gentiles who would be coming who were wanting to become part of the Jewish faith. And so they would bring these Gentiles to it and they would baptize in the water as a way of saying, I'm dead to my old way of life. I now long to essentially be a Jew. And the Jews were fine with that. The problem is, and the reason a delegation gets sent to John, is not that he's baptizing people. It's that he's baptizing Jews. They're kind of like, uh, sir, what are you doing? <laughs> you, you can't do that. Looking at him, and they're going, you, we're fine with you baptizing the Gentiles, but like, what? Wh- why would you be baptizing a Jew? A Jew is already a part of the family of God. They're, they're already in. So like, what's going on here? And John is saying, no, 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 what you must understand, all must come to God through repentance. Jew, Gentile, Greek, everyone alike. The way forward, the way to truly be <clears throat> a son of Abraham is to come to God through faith in what he has done, not in what you can do. It's not based on the fact of who you were born from, but based on the fact of who you've been reborn by, Jesus. And it's not based on the good works that you've done, but it's based solely on the good works that he has done. That's the gospel. So John comes, and his ministry is paving the way. It's preparing the way of salvation. It's changing the way that they see it. It's changing the very concept of what it means to be a child of God. It changes the way that we see repentance. I want you to think about this. What we've been centering our minds and thoughts on this morning is this 180-degree change of thought. That something comes in and it changes the way that we think, changes the way that we see, changes everything. And can I tell you something? Repentance is that thing. John's entire life, his message was a ministry of repentance. In fact, he comes on the scene and he says, repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. You know who else preached that same message? Jesus. The disciples. Jesus' first message he ever preached, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's near. It's coming close in your midst. So repent. That the two are connected to each other. To inherit the kingdom is also to repent, be a person of repentance. The disciples, as the gospel starts to explode in the book of Acts, and it makes its way now into the Gentiles, message comes back to the the early church fathers, and their exact language is, it looks like God has given the Gentiles the privilege of repentance. Everywhere this message was to be preached, repentance was. Listen to this. This is from the ancient prophet Isaiah. Isaiah. 
and he was specifically prophesying the birth of John the Baptist. And he says this, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the deserts a highway for our God. Every valley shall be exalted and every mountain and hill will be brought low. And the crooked places, they'll be made straight and rough places will be made smooth. See, what he's describing there in ancient times, if a king was traveling specifically to a region or a city, he would send out messengers ahead of time. And they would go through and they'd find the roads, the route the king would be taken. And one of their main goals was to actually smooth over the patches. Like they'd be looking for like the different potholes, fix that for the chariot ride that's like coming for the king. So it'd be like a smoother ride. How many of you are like, where are those messengers for our roads? <clears throat> like, we need them today. <laughs> Have it come through. But the other thing that they would do is that they would realize that many times as the king would be coming, people would long desperately to see him. And so they would get to places where like the road would make it so that you couldn't, they would actually elevate the road. They'd make it higher so that as the king passed by, people could look up and they could actually see him. John the Baptist said, that's what my ministry is intended to do. It's to change the way that people see God so that the rough patches can be smoothed over and they can see him for who he truly is and what he's coming to do, but also to elevate him, to lift him high, to magnify him so that whenever the Messiah comes, he can be seen for who he truly is. And his ministry of repentance did that very thing. I want you to think about repentance with me because the gospel cannot be understood and it cannot be responded to without repentance. If you remove repentance, there's no way to respond. Repentance is this. It's a twofold aspect. It's the turning from something and the turning to something. It's a, in fact, even the, the, the very term itself means like it's a turning. It's a, it's a turning from. So this is the brokenness. This is the things. This is the former way of life. This is all the things that I pursued that I thought would bring me happiness and satisfaction. And I'm turning from those empty things but the problem is, is that in the church world, so many times we get so focused on this one aspect of repentance, the, the stop doing, the quit it, the that's evil, that's wrong, that's, and all that's true. But repentance isn't just that. It's not just turning from something, it's turning to someone. It's realizing that what I was looking for there is actually there. What I was putting my hope in here can only truly be found there. The desires of my heart that I thought could be fulfilled here can only really be fulfilled here. And so I'm turning from what is breaking me to what will restore me. And I'm chasing after it. It's the turning from and the turning to. And I want you to think about this. Um, it's as if to say, listen, here he is, your king. Everything that your heart has truly been looking and longing for is found right here. And if you'll but turn to him, you can find it. It's not just leaving something, but turning to someone. John's baptism wasn't just about stopping. It was about preparing for Jesus. And 
repentance uniquely revealed the Messiah? I want you to think about this question with me. Why was Jesus baptized? It wasn't because Jesus needed to repent. He was sinless, spotless, perfect, innocent. He had never sinned once his whole life. It's not like Jesus went into those waters as a form of going, God, I'm sorry, help me. So the question we have to ask ourselves is then, why was Jesus baptized? And the answer is is simply because God had told John the Baptist, listen, there is one who's coming that you're going to see the Holy Spirit descend on like a dove. And in that moment, you're going to realize that this is the Messiah. Therefore, the baptism of repentance had a unique way of revealing who the Messiah was. And Jesus came and he allowed himself to be baptized, not because he needed it, but because he wanted to associate with everyone who would follow through with it. In other words, every person who will come to me with repentance, I identify with them. I'm with them. And not only that, but in that act of repentance, just like in that moment of baptism, Jesus was revealed as the Messiah to John the Baptist. Can I tell you something? There's something about repentance that reveals to us Jesus once again to our hearts. I want you to think about this. It reveals to us the very beauty of God. Jesus was revealed as the Messiah through a demonstration of repentance, and it showed how also the Holy Spirit enters our life and reveals him. In repentance, we see his love, his grace, his kindness, his long-suffering, his holiness, his beauty, all in a new light. As I sit there and I contemplate how broken I am and I realize he loved me then, how many of you are thankful for the long suffering of God? I mean, seriously, think through like your absolute worst sin, the one that maybe others have never even known about you. That thing, that time, that place that no one has any clue even, that like God met you even in your most darkest moment and he loved you through that. As we repent, as we go, God, help me to turn from those things and turn to you, what we realize is it's like the beauty and the mercy and the grace of God take on a new light to us like never before. And it reveals his holiness. It reveals his goodness to us. We can better see him for who he truly is. And our hearts grow like the Grinches a little bit more. I think it's a lot like Zechariah. I think there was a building of wonder in those nine months of silence. A building of his concept of who God really is and what God is capable of. Almost to the point of like exploding. Now listen to me carefully. I want to all eyes appear. Do not look at the person sitting next to you because I'm going to keep you safe. <laughs> Have you ever been in one of those conversations with someone that like they, they talk a lot and it's really hard to get a word in? <laughs> in the back sound booth, there's fingers being pointed. That's the opposite of what I just asked. <laughs> 
Now, my point is this. Have you ever been like where like, like they're talking and then like you've got something to say and like it's almost to the point where you feel like you're about to explode. Like I need to say it like but then you can't even find like a, like they just keep going. Like come on, we've all been there, right? There's like that building of like, like writing it to come out. Can I tell you something? I wonder if that nine months of silence was just a building of worship and wonder of this concept of my God is so much bigger than I originally thought. And he can do so much more than I can even remotely imagine. And then at the moment he finally could speak, literally it's just like an explosion of praise and worship. Can I tell you something to listen? As we turn from our sin and we turn towards God, as we contemplate in awe and wonder at his greatness and his holiness, it's like that buildup just I tried to find you in all these empty things. And I see you now for the wonder that you truly are. The heart that is most responsive to the Holy Spirit is a heart that is ready and willing to repent. It's a lifestyle that desperately longs for more of God. So it changes the way we see repentance. And because it changes the way we see repentance, it also changes our heart. And this is what we need. John answered them, I baptize with water, but among you stands one you don't even know. And he who comes after me, the strap of whose sandal I am not even worthy to untie. John was the model for us of true repentance because he practiced what he preached. In ancient times, a disciple would follow the rabbi everywhere they went. Even so much so that like one of their goals was like they wanted to be so close to the rabbi as the rabbi would be walking in the street. They wanted the dust off the rabbi's heels to like get on them. Like as if I'm like walking that closely to you in your footsteps. They would do almost anything that their rabbi said, almost anything at all. But one of the things that they most certainly would not do, nor could they ever be commanded to do, was to untie or to wash their rabbi's feet. This was something that in Jewish law that even a Jewish slave would not be allowed or asked to do. It was unfitting to even contemplate It was seen as like one of the most degrading, lowest of the lowest of the lowest of the lowest things that a person could do. Jesus said of John the Baptist that of all men ever been born to the earth, there is none greater than John. And listen to what John has to say. He goes, there is one coming after me, meaning Jesus, who is so worthy, the straps of his sandals, I'm not even worthy enough to untie. He picked the lowest job of the lowest slave, of the lowest person on the social rank that you could barely even get them to do. And he's like, I'm not even worthy enough to do that task. What you see in John is there's been such a change in his heart where he has realized the magnitude, the awe and wonder, and the worthiness of God. John's heart is, he is so great. I'm not even worthy. I'm not even up to that task. A few days later, a couple of John's disciples come up to him and they're like, "Uh, sir, we've got a problem. You know that guy that you baptized 
who's got some disciples, like he's gaining a following now and he's doing your thing. And he's doing more of it than you. Like they're baptizing more people. Like he, he's stealing your thunder, John. What do you want us to do? <laughs> like, like, are you contemplating beating Jesus up? Like that's not a wise move. Like, <laughs> you know, like you, this picture, they're like, they're a little jealous. They're looking at their rabbi and they're going like, hey, this guy's baptizing more. He's doing your thing. And what I love is John responds to them. And he says to them, listen, um, he must increase. I must decrease. You get this change of heart where he's going like, no, 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 I don't care about my fame. He's like, in fact, you probably should go and follow him. And all the people we know in this world, they try to gain an audience, gain power, gain significance, gain these. John's like, no, 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 no. Go follow Jesus. He needs to increase. I need to decrease. There's two things we see that are put on display through John's life of repentance and it's humility and desire. Listen to me. Grace is a very good basis for my worship. It stops me from worshiping from my self-righteousness and it also does not allow me to cease worshiping because of my brokenness. It does two beautiful things on each end of the spectrum. In other words, it goes, hey, grace looks at you and goes, you, you, and I, don't, I hope you know this, but like if you show up on Sunday morning and you think that you can worship based on your week, really who you're worshiping is yourself. If you're like, hey, I, I can worship God this week because I had a good week, like I, I was pretty good. Not, I'm not, not tooting my horn too much, but like I did some pretty kind things this week. I helped someone across the street. I did this, I did that, blah, blah, blah. Really what you're doing is you're worshiping, but you're going, <laughs> yeah. Good job, buddy. You're worshiping yourself. And if you cease to worship God because of your past, your shame, and your failure, and your brokenness, you're still doing the exact same thing. You are basing the center, the purpose of your worship on you not on him. Worship, this is why grace is such a great base for our worship. It's, I didn't deserve it. I didn't earn it. I can't gain it. It is given to me freely. And he deserves all my worship. And on top of that, then, my worship even changes me. Because as I'm sitting here in the midst of my brokenness and I'm worshiping him, I'm reminded, that's what I want. That's what's good. That's what truly fulfills. That's what my heart longs for. Not these empty, broken things. And so my worship changes my heart. And if I'm prone to self-righteousness, then my worship should also be changing my heart to being reminded, I thought I was holy, but whoa, I'm just like Isaiah. And I fall to my knees and I go, man, I am a man of unclean lips and a land of unclean lips and my eyes have seen the king. It should respond in both ways. John's display of humility that came from repentance, but his life also displayed a desire from God that came from his repentance. His life was like, pursue the one who has pursued you. The birth of John the Baptist was the fulfillment of a prophecy that again said, 
make straight the way. His life of repentance and his message of repentance for you and for me and for all that were there at that time was intended to prepare your hearts for who the king really was. And so I have a question for us this morning. This is what I want us to dwell on as we bring this message to a close. When was the last time that you were captivated by wonder in your worship? So overcome by the object of your worship, not the feeling of your worship, that you stopped in awestruck wonder and in amazement of who God is. When was the last time that your entire internal mindset, the, the very eyes of your heart, were so captivated by Jesus that it changed the way you saw yourself, the change, way you saw your circumstance, but most specifically, everything that you were pursuing that wasn't him. See, what John was trying to reveal to us today and what we desperately need to hear today is, listen, for all of us, there's been some places that we have searched for God, but we've searched for it in the created rather than the creator. And whenever you try to make the created the thing that you worship, can I tell you something? It will always bring death and destruction into your life. You will move it from being blessing to bondage. And the king is here today. His presence is near. The question is, will we with hearts that are ready be willing to change and see him? If you just bow your heads. Close your eyes this morning and I want you to just listen to my voice. We're going to bring the, the lights down. I just want to ask a couple of questions this morning. First and foremost, right now, is there anything in your life that you need to turn from? Something in your life that has taken a place and you've looked for identity, you've looked for comfort, you looked for strength, and you've tried to find parts of who you are in it rather than in the creator. And that today you know that you know the incredible beauty of the Holy Spirit as he's wooing and drawing your heart back to himself this morning. And if so, can you just take a moment right now to identify it and give it to God? It's as simple as this. You can say, Holy Spirit, help me. I realize that this has been more than a thing. It's become a lowercase g God thing. I've tried to find in it significance. I've tried to find in it worth. I've tried to find in it love and joy or all the things that I can only find in you, but I've tried to find it in that. And today I need to repent and I need to turn from it, but God, I need to turn towards you. Can I tell you something? God always hears that prayer always honors that prayer. Secondly, can I tell you something? We, we, we've got to be very careful because it's very easy to fake Christianity. 
You could show up at church for 40 years. You can know all the Bible verses. You can know every story inside and out. You can know all the rules and dot all the I's and cross all the T's. And it can be absolutely pointless to you because it's just a thing you do on your schedule. But does your heart long for the King? because if we're going to repent, it's not just the not doing something, it's the turning to the one my heart longs for. It's the desperately running into his presence saying, God, shape me, change me, mold me, make me more like you. It's going to that place of awestruck wonder that the king of kings willingly chose to come near for me and for you. Today, maybe the Holy Spirit, you can just feel his presence and it's like he's tugging at your heartstrings. Can I plead with you? Pursue his presence. And here's how, right where you're at, will you just pray this prayer with me? Just whisper to heaven, Holy Spirit, you're welcome here. You're welcome to move. You're welcome to speak. You're welcome to challenge me. You're welcome to hold me, to comfort me, to be with me in the midst of this. Father, I pray for every person in this room right now. God, I pray that our hearts would be receptive to your voice and to your moving. With every head bowed and every eye closed and no one looking around, I just want to be able to pray with you. If you're here today and you're saying, you know what? I know that I know that the Holy Spirit identified something in my life I need to repent from today. Will you just really quickly raise your hand up and then you can put it down. Thank you, thank you. Going up all the room, thank you. Let me pray for you. Father, I come before you right now, Lord. Every heart that is here this morning, they are hearing you speak. God, they are hearing your Holy Spirit draw them. I pray, God, would you give them the courage the strength, the boldness, and the power to turn from what they had previously looked to for fulfillment. But God, I also pray, would you give them the power to run full speed into your presence, to come into you and say, God, I want more of you. That God, they're they're turning from would be identified just as much by their turning to you, Jesus. And that today you would hear their heart and that you would strengthen them, I pray. Second question I have is this. How many of you today, you love Jesus. But as you heard the Holy Spirit speak this morning, there's a prick in your heart that's going, I want my desire to increase. Oh, how I want to want him. How I want to know him more. I want to be close to him. I want to draw near to him. If that's you today, would you raise your hand? Thank you, thank you. Father, we pray for every heart in this room. Spirit of God, we believe that you are stirring in us a desire for more of you, Jesus. God, that is a prayer you always long to answer. Would you do that this week as we contemplate the coming of the Messiah, as we prepare our hearts for Christmas? God, would there be a special just sense this week, almost like with Zechariah, as that baby was getting closer and closer to being born, that that stirring inside him of knowing soon my lips will be able to praise my God, that, Lord, our hearts would long with desperation 
to know you and be closer to you. Jesus, we love you. We worship you. We honor you. We adore you, King Jesus. In your mighty name we pray. Amen. Amen. Would you stand with me this morning? Um, we're going to close in this song. And here's one of the ways in which we're going to close. I'm going to ask if, uh, if my altar workers are still here, if you would be willing to come to the front. Maybe um, there's something you're facing this week. Could be something the message is about. It could be something just health-wise. Maybe you've got a doctor's appointment or, or something that's kind of going on and you're praying and asking God for healing. We love to stand in faith and pray with you. And we would love for you to be able to have someone to pray with you. And so uh, we're going to just ask, actually, all team, if you want to come up right now, if, um, if you're available. And we want to be able to pray with you during this time. So we're going to close in worship, and then Grady is going to lead us out. But maybe you just need someone, again, to stand in prayer with you today. Can I just plead with you, take them up on that offer. We've got incredible men and women of God that are uh, wanting to pray and believe with you. But let's just, let's believe that this Christmas, let's not limit our God like Zechariah did. Let's be reminded that he can flip the script and do the impossible. Let's pray and believe for him to do just that. And so as we close in worship, may we keep in mind that we are turning from our broken past and turning to our perfect Savior.